I feel like our systems are broken and I feel like our power systems are broken, essentially, and I feel like ordinary people should be able to participate in the decisions that affect their lives outside of election cycles and they should be able to use their voice and they should organise in their communities to use the power that they have to push back against what I see as a democracy that is more and more sort of like weighted to favour the rich, favour corporations, favour institutions of power that I think don't represent the the citizenry as well as they should. And I think that our democracy is better, I think that our society is better, and I think that people will be safer, happier, you know, treated better if we have a more egalitarian society. That's the LGBTIQ activist and executive director of Change.org, Sally Rugg. And this is episode 244 of the Osher Ginsberg podcast. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being a part of episode 244 of the show with the wonderful Sally Rugg. You can find her on Twitter. She's at Sally Rugg, two Gs on Twitter, or on Instagram. It's a little tricky. Uh, it's pretty fabulous. It's at underscore campaign underscore puppy, P-A-P. I so at camp uh, at underscore campaign underscore puppy. It's a play on Drake, but yeah. Anyway, um, it's fantastic. More about Sally in a moment. If you're new to the show, hello, welcome. Allow me to introduce myself. My name's Osha, but it hasn't always been. Uh, I'm a TV host from Australia, uh, but I've not always lived here. I'm currently working on Breaking Hearts and delivering date cards on a show called The Bachelor. Uh, But I haven't always done that. I used to work on shows like Idol, I worked on Channel V, and the long-forgotten one-time game show that I did, which died a quiet Saturday, 6 p.m. time slot death. It was called The Contest. But I got to wear a nice jacket and pronounce multisyllabic questions. It was good. Uh, Look, when I'm not uh, working on television or uh, what I'm doing, really, I'm with my wife and stepdaughter, I'm cooking, I'm swinging kettlebells, I'm riding my bike, or I'm busy making this podcast which I have done each and every Monday. Uh, I do it every Monday, and I've done it each and every Monday for the last 243 Mondays in a row. Uh, There's so many episodes. You can go check out a couple if you like. This podcast, what is it? Well, look, it's a conversation that you get to be a part of, and, and it's a conversation designed to hopefully help you make today a little bit better than yesterday, help you sharpen the blade a bit, help you get that direction a little more dialed in, help you move the needle a little more precisely as to what's happening in your world and what's happening in your life. Sometimes this conversation will be with a name you know. You see a name, you go, I know that person, you download it. That's fair enough. I do the same thing. Sometimes this conversation will be with someone that you don't know. But look, I guarantee that no matter what, you're going to hear something that you need to hear today. You're going to hear something in the next hour and a bit that will help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. And that is all I am here to do. That's all I try to do with my own life, and I'm just trying to help 
other people do the same thing. I want to thank everyone that got in touch this week. You can always email me, send Osher email at gmail.com. Thank you so much for all the people that wrote and sent the wonderful pictures uh, of what they do when they listen to the show. We call it a podsy, P-O-D-S-I-E. Uh, and it's just a photo of what you're doing right now. That's pretty much it. Uh, some great runs through the park, a lot of park running happening. Someone sent me a fantastic picture of the milk run. Yeah, I'm just going to get milk in the morning. And they sent a picture of them with their milk just walking home to make breakfast. It's brilliant. I'm grateful I could be a part of it. I've got to say a massive hello to the Facebook group. You can find us, nearly 800 of us now. I've put a short link, osha.is slash fbgroup. FB group, yeah. is slash FB group. That's where you can come and be a, be a part of it. Uh, the Facebook group is, is brilliant. It's growing every day. It's a great place uh, of sharing, of support, and a whole lot of listeners to this show coming together, everybody just trying to make today a little bit better than yesterday. And it's really, really great. I like today, for example, I put up an accountability experiment just to see what might happen. Um, just really simple, you know, post a little like reply to a comment that I made about what you're going to do tomorrow for self-care, and then tomorrow after you've done it, reply to your own comment with some pics and photographic evidence that you did it. And you get showered with likes and praise, but mainly you're doing it to look after yourself. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes, but I'm just really excited about what, what's happening over there and the community that's being built there. Um, because here on this show, I, I like to talk not only with you, but also my guests just about getting by from day to day because sometimes life is hard and there's, you know what, there's some really simple ways to fortify yourself against the shitstorms that will always come your way. And that fortification can result in less stress, more happiness, greater productivity, a better ability to engage with those you love and those who love you, and I guess ultimately uh, better mental health. Um, because I guess the short version, if you knew, the short version is that I, like many other people, in my country and around the world, I uh, got born with a different brain. And for a long time, I was on meds. I'm not on meds at the moment, but I was on meds for a long time. And there is a big difference between not taking meds and not needing to take meds. So to keep myself from needing to take meds, there's some things that I do every single day which not only help me keep my head straight, but they... They allowed me to live more free of fear than I've ever done. They helped me be more engaged with my family and my work. And, and look, let's be honest, they keep me in a pair of size 32 jeans and I'm able to wear a nice tight tailored suit on the telly and not worry too much about love handles. High fives all round. There's benefits to good mental health. <laughs> Vain ones. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I do every day is a really simple five-minute movement routine. I do it when I start my day while my coffee machine warms up and my kettle boils. Now, it's grown from a three-minute routine uh, a few weeks ago, mind you, and it's grown, I'll tell you why, because when you start to move your body, your body releases hormones into your bloodstream that make you feel good. So good, in fact, you go, ooh, I like that feeling. I'm going to do that again. And it makes you, forward, makes you look forward to moving more. Uh, the really fancy-sounding things that get released into your head, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, neo... No, sorry, norepinephrine. That's my favorite one, norepinephrine. That's the one that helps you fortify against stress. But all these things get released into your system when you move. It's like free drugs. Yeah. And who doesn't like free drugs? I certainly used to. <laughs> but because they feel so good, like the good addict that I am, I do chase them a bit. 
And so, yeah, so three minutes of movement has gone to five. It'll soon be 10 because, honestly, it just feels really good to do in the morning the moment I wake up. And it started with just doing 10 squats. And now look what's bloody happened. Now look what's gone and done. And I was chatting with someone this week about getting started because I was talking about how small I started. And she said, oh, look, I just don't have time. I don't have time to – I wish I had time to work out. I wish I had time to exercise. I wish I had time to do that sort of thing. You have time. You absolutely have time, and I'm going to prove it to you. No matter how much work you do, no matter how much excellent work you do, no matter how many kids you have and how often you have to lovingly lovingly drive them from place to place, no matter how many elderly relatives you so lovingly care for, you have five minutes to do some simple squats and some push-ups against the wall. If you don't believe me, look, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm about to red pill, blue pill your shit, all right? Are you ready for this? You might not be ready. Because all but 10 people are listening to this on a smartphone right now. I, I know that because I see the stats. So thousands and thousands of people are listening on either an Android or an Apple product, okay? So I'm about to find your five minutes where you can do some squats, so push up against the wall, maybe a plank or two. But I will warn you that once you've seen how deep the rabbit hole goes, you may never be the same again. All right. So if you're on an Android phone, whip your phone out. Once you pull over or stop operating your heavy machinery or a passenger jet or whatever it is you're driving right now, put the kid down. Okay, you ready? If you're on Android, this is what you do. Get your phone. Hold your phone in your hand. There you go. Unlock it. There you go. Great. Okay. Out of the podcast app, go find the home screen. All right. You ready? Good. Find the settings button. You probably hit it over the second screen there. You swipe, swipe, swipe. There it is. No, there, there it is. Okay. Got the settings button. Click that. Okay, settings. Now, scroll down a bit. You'll find battery a bit further down. There it is. Battery, okay? Scroll down a bit more further. There you are. You see that? See those minutes next to all those apps? That's how long you've been spending on the apps on your phone. Now, just look at that for just a second, just stew in that. I'm going to get the Apple people to do the same thing. So, Apple people, unlock your phone, uh, passcode or thumbprint or use your face if you've got my wife's phone. Uh, Though, if you had her phone, you need her face. Never mind. So, unlock your phone. Once you've pulled over your bus or your truck or your minivan or your delivery bike, just, okay, okay, we're not driving anything. Great. Unlock your phone. Okay, good. Open up your settings. All right, so in the general settings page, the first one you should come to, um, scroll down a bit. In the third block of icons, second from the bottom, right above privacy, battery. Click that. All right. It's down a bit, down a bit. Scroll down. Okay, see right there? See that little clock next to all the apps? After you've let the little thing spin a bit. Okay, tap that clock. That's how many minutes you've spent on each app today. Okay, so now we're all looking at the minutes that we've spent on our apps. We're all in the same headspace. Have a good look at those numbers. Ask yourself, honestly, how many of those minutes was absolute mindless zombie scrolling? Just scrolling, scrolling, scroll, tap, like, scroll, tap, like. When you're bored, switch to another app for more scroll, 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 something interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, look at that. I'm bored now. Scroll, 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 scroll. Zombie scrolling, scrolling away precious moments that you could either be caring for yourself or be connecting with those you love or who love you. I promise you, 
there is five minutes in there somewhere. You can find five minutes in there where you can put the phone down and do a minute worth of squats, a minute worth of push-ups against the wall, maybe even a plank hold on your knees and elbows if you have to. Hell, you could probably find 20 minutes in there. Go for a walk. That's all it takes is 10 minutes out the front door, turn around, 10 minutes back, boom. You've done your 20 minutes exercise for the day. Hooray, you've lowered your risk of cardiovascular disease. Unreal. You could have, well, I've been talking for 11 minutes. There you go. Turn around now. <laughs> Whatever self-care you could be doing to make it easier to cope with your own brain every day and therefore make it easier for others to be with you every day, you can find that time. I absolutely guarantee it, and that is a great place to start. And it's not like those minutes spent caring for yourself are lost or selfish. For me, I can only speak for myself, but for me, each minute I spend in self-care puts a force multiplier on the rest of my day. I become two times, three times more effective, more connected, more present when I spend as little as 20 minutes a day in self-care mode. So here's a challenge. I'll give you a challenge. Whatever those numbers are and have a good, honest look at them, you don't have to tell anybody, obviously, if you want. Just try and bring them down by just 5% tomorrow. All right. So if you spent one hour on Facebook today, tomorrow when you turn in, when you look at, look at it, aim for 57 minutes. That's three minutes of your life you just got back. Do what you'd really like to do. Connect with your kid. Listen to a story. Draw something. Go for a walk. Look at the sunlight. Smell a flower. Let me know how you go. Send us your email at gmail.com or hit me up another way. Do a before and after photo, like a F45 challenge or something. That could be fun. Post it up. See what response you get. See what happens. Or don't. I just wanted to share that because as someone who's I'm very grateful, like I was really unemployed, so I had a lot of time on my hands, and I'm gratefully now in a situation where I don't. Um, a lot of deadlines going on at the moment, a lot of time pressure, um, you know, struggling to keep on top of everything, including connecting with my family in a meaningful way. Uh, I am like, it's like putting spongy insulation on a drafty window to save money on my heating bill. I am searching for time leaks left and right, and that's one of the ways I found a bunch. It's like, wow, really? I spent 46 minutes on Instagram? I don't need 46 minutes on Instagram. I've got, like, I'd have done 45 minutes worth of something else. I could have worked out. Anyway, I hope that helps because that's what I've been doing this week. I'd love to know what happens, what worked for you. Let me know how you go. Um, I did want to say a massive, massive thank you to the new supporters that came on board this week at Patreon. Uh, podcasts are free to listen to. They're not free to make. If this podcast does bring you some value, I would ask very kindly that you consider a return on that value, either by sharing this podcast out, rating this podcast, or reviewing this podcast on iTunes, sharing it to a friend, or indeed, nuts and bolts, you know, dollars and cents, patreon.com slash osher. I've got to pay Rachel, my producer. I've got to pay Andy, my audio producer. Um, and those, those people, they require cash. I can't pay them in Facebook likes. I have to pay them in money, uh, which is good because they earn it. So, yeah, patreon.com slash osher would be an incredible help. If this show does bring you value, I would ask you to consider throwing a bit of value back towards and Andy and uh, Rachel. 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So... Let me tell you about my guest this week. I am very excited about this person. Sally Rugg is an LGBTIQ activist and executive director of Change.org in Australia. You can find her on Twitter at Sally Rugg, S-A-L-L-Y-R-U-G-G, or she is on Instagram, Campaign Puppy. Uh, So it's at underscore campaign underscore P-A-P-I. That's her on Instagram. Sally is a smart charming, powerful person whose leadership and drive to make our community as inclusive and excellent as it can be is something that I found inspirational. If you've ever wondered about why someone might pursue a career in activism, or indeed what life is like for someone who stands up in public and fights for the human rights of those underrepresented in our community, Sally's here to tell you all about that today. I, for one, feel we're lucky to have people like Sally in our community, people who tirelessly fight for the rights of others. She's certainly got me thinking about the privilege I got born with and what I choose to use that privilege for, the privilege of being born white, male, straight, middle class in a safe, prosperous country, the privilege of having this podcast, the privilege of a career in broadcast, the privilege of having a lot of people's attention at times. What am I going to do with that? Sally made me think about that a lot. I did think about it before, but she made me think about it. Made me think about it more. Sally and I—we actually first connected over Twitter when we were trying to—we were trying to figure out the very best way to do a same-sex version of the Bachelorette. Uh, after a few tweets back and forth, I ended up saying, "Look, come on the show. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about a bunch of other stuff. We'll try and talk about that too." And so she came on. Now I'm going to say this part now. In this conversation, I'm probably going to make a lot of mistakes when discussing the important nuances of life outside my heteronormative bubble. I'm probably going to mess up some pronouns. I'll probably accidentally minimize the impact of important distinctions and important issues. I want to assure you, this is not something I'll deliberately do. I'm very keen to learn. I'm very keen to be more aware of microaggressions in my language. I'm, I'm... you know, if I make some glaringly obvious out of my depth straight white guy mistakes, please be so kind uh, to email me, send out your email at gmail.com. Um, perhaps help me not make those mistakes again. I'd be very grateful for your direction there. 
I know that the more I discover during this show, the more I discover about the lives of people that are so different to mine, the more I realize how little I know and how much I'm yet to learn. So I'm all ears. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, it'd be great. One thing I did learn, one very important thing I did learn is that Sally and I, we share an undying love and an undying devotion to Hanson, not the politician, the band. You may think this conversation is going to be political and explore the tricky ways that we could try to get a same-sex reality TV dating show to work, but it's all those things. But she and I sing a lot of Hanson songs. (laughs) Sally's a fabulous person. I hope you do all you can to support her and the important work she does at change.org. She's young. She's full of energy. She's full of hope. She's just getting started. She's just getting started. I'm grateful that we had the chance to talk now because mark my words, in a few years from now, you'll be glad you caught a glimpse of the powerhouse this woman is. So you can say, yeah, I always knew she'd go on to change the world. Did you know she likes Hanson? <laughs> if you like what you hear, uh, please let her know on Twitter. She's at Sally Rugg, S-A-L-L-Y-R-U-G-G, or on Instagram at underscore campaign underscore puppy. So that's an underscore C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N underscore P-A-P-I. Enjoy this conversation with the wonderful Sally Rugg. How is your coffee, Sally? My coffee is so good. Did you want a compliment about your coffee no, on the record? No, I was just asking to make sure <laughs> that it was all right. It's delicious. I, um, I have... Uh, you, didn't have, you didn't get one? I've had enough this okay. morning. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> me and coffee have a... We have a relationship that has at times bordered on possibly unhealthy, mm. but we, we love each other. <laughs> um, I care for it. It cares for me. Yep. Um, for someone who cares a lot about the environment, I do pretty terrible things when it comes to carbon footprints around my coffee, for it comes from far away places. Mm. I don't know. I feel like individual carbon footprints is a bit of a neoliberal <laughs> trap. You know, people feel like they're doing their bit by recycling and, you know, using a keep cup, which is good. I think you should still do that. But then, I don't know, sometimes I feel like it placates the masses and stops them from taking collective action to shut down a coal mine or something because they're like, well, my individual carbon footprint is clean. No offence. None taken. That's a solid open, Sally. Right? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> For the record... <laughs> For the record, I recycle. <laughs> We're a minute in. I'm so grateful you came. Thank you for being here. It's been a minute, but I'm bloody stoked that you're you're here in the house. You've had a little play with Frankie. The best dog. He's a good guy. Well, I would top three dogs. I'm going to get top in trouble three. for something. No, top three. I've poured a water jug, but I haven't brought water. Stand by. Top three. Who's your other top? Who's the other two? Um, there's a dog called Blackie with a Q. Blackie. Blackie with a Q? Yep. And a dog called Maggie with two Gs. Maggie? Yep. With two Gs? <laughs> yep. Okay. Blackie with a Q and Maggie with two Gs. So we're here. We're in Bronte. Uh, we're in the eastern part of Sydney, Australia. It's a cold and kind of uh, rainy day. I wish it would rain more. Um, are you – you've come from across the other part of the city, um, mm-hmm. from, from the – in a western part of the city? Yeah, from the lesbian capital of Australia, that's right. Can <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's Newtown? Marrickville. Marrickville. Just one hot step and a jump over. Wow. 
uh, the lesbian capital of Australia. Actually, I think Erskineville might, you know, get up me for the rent for saying it's Marrickville. I think Erskineville actually has the highest density of lesbians in the country, according to the census. But yeah, it's it's we're all we're all um, next to each other. Those suburbs. There's a whole really interesting theory about uh, gentrification of suburbs. If you follow the there's long conversations that have been had about how suburbs go from run-down pieces of shit, don't walk there at night, to, oh, my God, that terrace house just went for $2 million. Mm-hmm. All right? Absolutely. And if you follow, you know, who goes first, who gets in there first, it, you know, it's, the leading the charge. It's the quiz. <laughs> exactly. It's true, yeah. And, you know, and then the straights show up and then <laughs> the property goes 10x and then yeah. everyone moves one suburb out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder why that is. Oh, yeah, it is, it's interesting. Well, I think there's a there's definitely um, we'll get Andrew Winter onto it. That's the next um, <laughs> that's the next big TV series for Andrew Winter mm. is uh, the sexuality and economic gentrification of real estate. Mm. The suburb I live in, Marrickville, is very like exactly like that. It was you know, it was like factories mm. and um, super super working class area, and then. All the queers moved in, and now, exactly like you say, there's you know huge. Where do they houses. move in from, though? Uh, Newtown. Why do they leave Newtown? Because we got priced out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it. It happens. happens and now everywhere. we're now we're bleeding into Summer Hill and all further out. Right. I say we as if we're like some homogeneous mass, but we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, was that always home, or where was the first place you called home? Uh, I grew up in Fremantle in WA. The beautiful, beautiful Fremantle. Isn't it beautiful? The sunsets over the water. There's nothing like. There's nothing like it. There really isn't. Leighton Beach is my. I feel like if I had. If I had a spiritual home, if I, yeah, I'm not a very spiritual person, but when I'm on Leighton Beach, that is like the closest I come to feeling like I have a spiritual home, that beautiful big long bay and the sunset over this like giant flat ocean. Oh, it's stunning. Really is. Mm. It really is. Were you there at a time uh, when, no, you're you're quite a bit younger than me, so all (laughs) the sailing stuff would have been done all the America's Cup stuff would have been done by the time you became a kind of sentient kid. Yeah, I mean, that's not really ringing a bell. So yeah, <laughs> when, yeah. when did that happen? Well, in the early 80s, um, yeah, some okay. very rich white people in Australia won a yachting race against some other very rich white people called mm-hmm. the America's Cup. And mm-hmm. then because we won it, we were able to host it. And then we came out and hosted it and, and there was all this infrastructure built and everyone was very excited and all the sailing oh, teams wow. came in and it was just like, yeah. I wasn't born till 1988. So no, yeah. after that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's exciting though. Uh, at what point um, when you're, uh, you've always been, from my following of your career, someone who has stood up for and, you know, in this conversation already like four times you've stood up for <laughs> and wonderfully so, um, you know, the, uh, I don't want to use the word right so early, but uh, sort of for the concept of, no, everybody has a right to do their thing, mm. you know. How early in your life did that start showing up? Yeah, it's funny because I think the, like, earliest iterations of that, um, I suppose part of my personality comes out in, like, stubbornness and being a brat. Like, I have this 
my mum tells this story and I'm not sure if I have a memory of it or if she's told the story so many times that now it feels like a memory of me being sort of like four years old and stomping around and screaming at her, you're not the boss of me. And my mum was like, honey, I am. You're four. <laughs> so I think that's sort of like the earliest memories of being stubborn, uh, which I think probably turned from stubbornness to determination. But yeah, um, what you said about me just now is really kind. So thank you. I, I do. Yeah, I really believe that nobody should feel powerless because I don't think people are powerless, um, particularly when we work together. Did that concept start in primary school when you started getting exposed to other kids and other ways of behaviour and dominance starting to occur in schoolyards and teachers exerting dominance, that sort of thing? Maybe. I think like quite a formative experience in my primary school was uh, the state government in WA wanted to build this giant road. Um, I remember it being called the bypass, but it probably had a, a you not, know, not the, let's just be honest, like not the kindest state government <laughs> of our state governments. I grew up in Queensland, so I'm pretty uh-huh. familiar with yes. totalitarian <laughs> regimes masquerading as democracies. Um, yeah. yeah, WA is pretty full on. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got a, they've got yeah, the Barnett government's out now, and we've got a McGowan government in now, which is the Labor government. I haven't seen that many runs on the board from that Labor government yet, but we'll see. But yeah, so this giant road was going to be um, built through my primary school and the primary school community like banded together and uh, ran all these protests and campaigns to stop this road being built through our school. And we won. And I was probably like seven, so I don't think I contributed that much. But I do remember... um, Yeah, I do remember it being a really sort of like wonderful and empowering experience. Painting signs, standing at rallies, that kind of thing? Yeah, marching around and, yeah. So, all right, so early on getting an idea of, all right, if we all stand here, Hmm. was it? were there bulldozers involved by that point? No, it wasn't like chaining ourselves to trees and stuff. Right. That would would come later. Yeah, as a seven-year-old, I'd be be down for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. So then as you started moving, as you started getting older, you, 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 you're looking at the world through a lens of, you know, where is the, the justice? When did that sort of show up? Um, I mean, I certainly think that was always there. And I suppose, yeah, like when you learn more about the world, um, injustice has become more uh, visible, I suppose. So uh, when I first left high school, um, like I was at uni, but I also uh, went straight into doing volunteer youth work with kids from sort of like back, like kids who had home lives that were, you know, uh, under pressure, I suppose. Um, so a whole range of different kids with a whole range of different backgrounds. Um, so, yeah, I did, so I was doing youth, volunteer youth work with those kids for probably about four or five years in the end. Yeah, I don't know. I always felt like... Yeah. Well, I feel like when there's injustice around, then it is incumbent on um, those who have the ability to help to help and to do something. But so many people just don't give a shit. <laughs> well, my job as a campaigner is to try to show them that they do give a shit. Like I, I really believe in the like overwhelming capacity of people to have empathy and to be compassionate. I think people do give a shit. It's just that they need sometimes to kind of like have their hand held a little bit <laughs> to, and that, and that's, that's my work as a campaigner is to sort of 
sort of humanise the communities that have been dehumanised or, um, like, cut through political spin to help people understand how um, certain decisions actually affect their life. Yeah. Right. You, uh, Sally Rugg, have... You have spoken about, and in my uh, research, mm-hmm. noticeably, you've spoken about a uh, a transformative part of your youth mm. of picking up uh, Jermaine Greer's book. Oh yeah, Female Eunuch. Mm. Now, for people who don't know about that book, how did that book first come into your hands? I don't know because it was a secondhand copy. I think I had heard of it and seen it in a bookshop. Um, yeah, I don't know how it, like, I don't think my mum gave it to me or anything like that. I think I bought it. But, um, yeah, I read it when I was quite young. Um, what's, what's quite young? I think I was maybe 14. That's most definitely old enough to know what's going on and have a clue of noticing, like, actually, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. a piece of meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember, as I was reading this book, I remember feeling like I was, like teetering on the edge of a cliff or something. And I knew that like once I had fallen off this cliff, terrible visual metaphor, but, um, or if I was, you know, about to dive into this thing, then I, then I would be changed forever. Like, um, and I suppose like the sort of philosophy of that, uh, time talks a lot about like consciousness awakening. And even that book talks about like, you have your consciousness awakened. Um, yeah. And so that text really was like a, uh, as you say, like a transformative thing to read at that age. Yeah, there's this there's this line in it. And, and like, it's not that I believe every letter of what Jermaine Greer has written in that book. It was more like that it was a, a text to sort of like start my own critical yeah. thinking. From. And it's important to say that you and her and me and her diverge uh, fairly significantly mm. on a few of the things that she said lately. And that's, you know, that's okay. But that book particularly is was, as you mentioned, uh, it pushed a button and exploded a bomb mm. of fucking no in a lot of people in our community, in our society. And it's very important. Mm. There's this line in the book that says um, women have no idea how much men hate them. And I remember reading that at the time being like, what? And I don't think... I mean, here is me interpreting the text, but my interpretation isn't that all men hate all women, but um, it's sort of like a comment on broader misogyny, like a broad-scale misogyny. Um, but, yeah, that, that sentence in particular has always stayed with me and I don't know if I agree with it, but I always kind of come back to it. It's funny, I shared a taxi with Jermaine Greer once. Um, we... Like I had just, I was in Melbourne, I just landed, I was on my way to um, my office at the time and she and I were in the line next to each other and she just started chatting to me about, I don't know, the weather or whatever and then she said, oh, well, where are you going? And I said, Carlton North or wherever I was, Collingwood, <laughs> I can't remember. Um, and she was like, oh, same, well, you know, we'll let's get a taxi, like let's share, you can come in with me because she had a cab charge. Um, and part of me wanted to be like, no, because I disagree with your views. <laughs> but then I kind of was like, all right, I'll like, I will sit in this car with you. Um, not expecting anything from her, just sort of like, okay, sure. Like this is a weird once in a lifetime opportunity experience. Um, and I, and it was 
awful. Like she said everything that she has put in, that she said in interviews and written, uh, you know, written down and much worse. Like the, the transphobia that was coming out of her mouth was so horrifying. And I, like, I wanted to, I like feel a bit shaky even recounting it now. I like, I wanted to get out of the taxi, but I just kept sort of repeating my mind, like, this is only going to happen. Like, you know, this is an extremely strange experience. You are going to be out of this car in about 20 minutes. And yeah, it was full on. Did it break your heart a bit that someone who changed your life or started a journey for you so significantly is now saying, Things like this. I think like we're not talking. We're not talking out of school. This is, as you mentioned, this is stuff that she said in public. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think um, the 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 first time those comments were sort of circulating, yeah, break my heart is the wrong word, but it, I felt really sort of betrayed and disappointed. And I think it's not fair to say like, oh, well, she's old, um, so her, you know, opinions can't change because there are incredible <laughs> feminists all over the shop who. Um, have you know who whose opinions have like progressed with the times um and aren't built on exclusion so so if that book opened the door what was the next i mean what's it like to be 14 in Fremantle in WA possibly the blokiest state in our country and suddenly have your eyes just kind of squeegeed clean <laughs> I'm going, oh, my God, now every billboard, every TV, TV commercial, every product shot, every ad, every magazine mm. that you look at, you are deconstructing. Going, oh, she was fucking right. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit Look like at the way that, she's actually. holding that. It's a dick. <laughs> it was a bit like that, actually. And then I don't know if it was the next year or the year after, but we read The Handmaid's Tale at Margaret Atwood school. Amazing. And I swear my copy of The Handmaid's Tale, I wish I'd kept it, actually, but it, it fell apart in my hands and I wish I'd kept that you know, broken copy. But, um, oh, I loved that book so much. Um, and, yeah, I read it in a – I must have been in year 11 because it was my English literature class. No, I think that was oh, only, so they gave it to you at school? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. bloody good. And it was great. And I think there was only, like, you know, not many – maybe 10 people in my English lit class. That, um, and we all loved it and obsessed about it. I went to an all-girls school and, yeah, so it was another formative – Text. That's freaking good because mm. uh, Gigi goes to a, an all-girls school and um, part of why we sent her to this school is it's things like that that permeate through every subject in the curriculum, mm. which I'm just thrilled about. Mm. I'm th- when she comes home and she talks about this is my history exam, I'm just going to make these up. So, but it'll be like this is this is my history uh, assignment. It's on um, Eva Perone and why she was this or that. This is my English assignment. It's um, analyzing you know this particular book that it's and it's all everything has got that skew of just kind of like you know just really normalizing that worldview of her the other women that she goes to school with in mm. our society and it makes because I went to an old boys school right which was. The I went to school with the sons and daughters, the sons of of, of the lawyers mm. and, and doctors yeah. and politicians in Queensland, and it was like, "What's yours? Go for it. Mm-hmm. You'll be right. Mm-hmm. Everyone look after you." That was it, and that's what I got spat out with. All right, and that's the worldview that I got left with when I was, and I suddenly I was around like I don't know, I was about eighteen, nineteen. I was like, "Hang on a second. The rules that I learned." People are getting really mad at me all the time and I can't figure out why. And I had to learn some very, very painful and difficult lessons. Mm. And it really wasn't until I started working in radio that the – because, you know, 
just through even radio was just still a boys club it was actually it wasn't until I started working at Channel V I was 25 when I, I had my first like proper proper female boss um, I had a female boss in radio but we never really had anything to do with each other all the kind of my direct reports were all men mm. and I saw women get passed over for gigs and it was just that's that was the job that was the industry at the time it was the you know how it was but then suddenly I was like oh, oh hang on everything that I thought thought no and I, 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 it was really confronting because I was, you know, just doing things that I'd learned through osmosis, right? But I was like, everyone's mad at me. <laughs> I'm saying horrible things. People are reacting really awfully. Fuck, gosh. Oh, hang on. <laughs> it was full wow, on. yeah. Yeah, it was really hard. It was mm. really hard. But that's kind of what I – That's. I didn't know any other way. Mm. That's kind of what I got. You know, it was – it but it tough. takes a lot to um, have that realisation, though, and instead of, like, you saying, like, oh, my God, like, people don't like me, like, what's wrong with me? Like, even that in itself is great instead of being like, why is everybody else wrong and I am still right? <laughs> uh, no, we don't, don't want to do that. Just you come cuddle Frank from over there. Hey, I, Frank. I am desperately trying to keep my hands warm, uh, but I'm going to turn the heater on because it's bloody it's a bit cold in here. Yeah, I saw Jermaine. I saw Jermaine talk uh, uh, a foxtel thing once. And I was so excited to hear her. Um, kind of like, you know what? It was a little like when I met Bon Jovi. I was like, wow, you guys are amazing. You changed my life. Mm. Oh no, you're an asshole. Oh no, oh, <laughs> that's the worst. I was really into you. Now you ah. <laughs> I'll still sing along to you, give love a bad name. <laughs> it's funny though, I think <laughs> like people who I was obsessed with or loved when I was a little kid, I, like I don't get starstruck by people very often, um, but I don't know, like I saw Hanson live a couple of years ago, like Mbop Hanson, and it was like, I was very excited and I knew that I would be excited, but, like, they walked onto the stage and I was like, oh, my God, what is that noise? Where is that noise coming from? And realised that I was screaming. <laughs> I was so excited and so starstruck. So I think there's something in, you know, people who you love and idolise when you're very young perhaps maintain this, like, godlike. Like, I don't think I ever want to meet Hanson. Like, what if, what if Taylor Hanson isn't nice to me? <laughs> See... <laughs> Sally Rogue, I thought you and I would get along. <laughs> You're not a handsome guy. I thought, great, you're coming to my house. We're going to have a good conversation. I reckon <laughs> we can click on a few things. It's going to be good. You talked about top three dogs before. Mm. Hanson are, without a shadow of a doubt, in my all-time top five, all-time. Hanson's second record is one of the best records ever made. I have seen them live I can't tell you how many times. I'm grateful to say that I have met them oh a number God. of times. Are they nice? So the nicest guy oh you've no. ever met. <laughs> I knew it. The nicest, nicest man you've ever met. Isaac Hansen is just one an extraordinary man. Mm. Taylor is the most lovely, lovely Fertile man, <laughs> like twenty-one children between the three of them or something. It's extraordinary. Oh my god! They gosh. are lovely, lovely men who have, ex- like, they were beyond Justin Bieber famous. Uh, like, yeah, they should be dead. 
All right. When you think about <laughs> no. how famous they were, when you think about the money that was around, when you think about the opportunities that were in front of them as hot teenage boys, there was an in-store they did in Sydney with 20 fucking thousand people at it. Mm. All right. Bieber could pull three at a sunrise show. All right. <laughs> let's just get, let's put things in perspective. Okay. They they should have just gone completely off the rails, but they didn't. They kept it together. And then when the record company dropped them, they were like, our fan base is the strongest fan base ever. We will nourish them and nurture them and look after them and give them what they want. And they went totally independent and they are extraordinary men who mm. write amazing songs. What's your favourite? My favourite. Song, not. Favourite song? Oh, I can't give you a favourite. I can give you three. Okay. Um, it'll be this time around. Mm. Oh, it's that one I've shouted out. So good. Um, the opening track of Shouted Out just kills me. I think it's called Shouted Out. It's called Shouted Out. Shouted Kill- Out. Yeah, yeah, it kills yeah. me. Um, Penny and Me. <gasps> Penny and Me is my favourite. It's my. We have to high five. <sighs> There you go. Do you do music intros, outros on the podcast? Because maybe you can put it in. Uh, no, I Penny don't. Penny but... left, roll the windows down, turn the radio up and sing out to the <laughs> Penny and me like to gaze at starry skies. As pretend it flies, always Penny, Penny and me tonight. My niece is called Whoa. Penny. Whoa. Whoa. I've got goosebumps right now. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I'm... Fucking love Hanson, man. They are. I love Hanson too. Because, uh, their music sounds like their music sounds like uh, the the like say for it's a cold. It's like t- eleven degrees and windy and rainy today. Their music sounds like if the sun came out mm. and warmed us enough to oh I might just take my sweater off. That's what Hanson <laughs> yep. is like. That's what Hanson. I want to like. do an, another shout out for Madeline. Here we go around again. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> they really are the sweetest men. They really, really are the sweetest man. Thanks and so much for inviting me on your Hanson podcast. Oh, look, mate, mate, but Sally, if we don't start a Hanson appreciation podcast, something's wrong. We'll take call-ins from around the world. We'll get Isaac on the phone. It'll be great. Yeah. It'll be great. Um, I was, as you were talking, I was like, do I have the photos in my phone of when I went backstage and saw them in, in Melbourne? I'd die. Like, oh, man, they are so damn good. That band is so damn good. And, um, yeah. So, yeah. Next, if they ever if they ever tour again, we will figure it out. Let's go. Yeah, we will figure it out. Figure out how. Hanson, to... if you're listening, <laughs> I have. When I worked at Channel V, all right, I I travelled around the, the world seeing bands. All right, I, I I once saw Metallica. I don't know, six times in 12, 14 days. All right. Wow. Um, the only band I've ever. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Bought plane tickets, booked hotels, and followed on tour is Hanson. Wow. I flew around the fucking country to watch and follow Hanson and watch every as many shows as I could. That's amazing. Yeah, amazing. Palace <laughs> Palace Theatre Melbourne was oh, for, Melbourne. I saw him in bloody Perth. Flew over to Perth. Flew <laughs> <over> to Perth. <laughs> Best. This is the thing. Like you meet people who are like, I like Hanson. It's like, sure. I mean, you like Bob, but like, no. do you like Hanson? <laughs> Um, Their second record is just so freaking, so freaking good that they came back after Middle of Nowhere and they just came out with that second one. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, really? No, 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 we're not going to give you another umbop. No, we're going to give you this one. Here we go. And I was, damn, they are are good. So now that we've done 10 minutes on Hanson Appreciation, um, let's get down to brass tacks. You, uh, (laughs) okay, so you're you're this awakened teenage... You know, uh, everything's upstart. Uh, yeah, every, your, your your justice is this thing. What was the? Did, did you have a teenage um, independent of the bypass fight? <laughs> was there a teenage moment where you're like, I'm going for it? Were you were you carrying a banner in high school for anything? No, not really. Like I I was like really involved in my high school. Like I was in all the plays and choirs yeah. and dance troops and you know. So I think I was just doing that. Um, yeah, I really liked school. Like I loved studying and I don't know, like I really sort of flourished in that structured environment. Oh, cool. Yeah, I loved school. Right on. We and- had a 10-year reunion a couple of years ago, which was fabulous. I yeah. really encourage everybody to go to their 10-year high school reunions. It's a hoot. <laughs> I started a food fight at mine. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> so tell me, when did uh, – because – you know, I'm I'm looking at that with my um, stepdaughter. She's halfway through grade nine. When did university show itself as a, an option? I went to uni straight out of school. But when did you first go, oh, I think I might do that? I don't know. I think it was just a given. Yeah? Oh, yeah, I was just Were you folks academic? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Like my mum was, I think my mum was at uni at the time or she had just finished her teaching degree. So my mum had done a few degrees here uh-huh. and there. Yeah. I don't know. I just sort of assumed that I would go to uni. Right, right. Which and, I did. Uh, okay. But West Coast? <laughs> yeah. So I did my undergraduate at Curtin University on the West Coast where I did communication and culture studies. But then I, uh, and I was doing it sort of initially full-time and then part-time because here's a, here's a fun fact about me. I worked at Boost Juice for like eight years. <laughs> What did you learn about what did you learn about strawberries? No, what did you learn about life from working at Boost Juice? I loved it. So it was my first after school job when I was like thirteen and a half or however old you have to be. Um and so it was just like afternoon casual, weekend casual, and then I was like a team leader and then I was a manager and then I managed a bigger store and then I managed a bigger store and then I got headhunted and pulled over to the head office where I worked as the national operations trainer for a while. Um, head office in? In Melbourne, yeah. Wow. So what did I learn about life from Boost Juice? Um, I think I'm, I met like through our customers, like I just met so many people from so many walks of life 
who like happened to like boost juice um and I think it just kind of like expanded my worldview and sort of and like you know regular customers become mates like I'm still really good friends with dozens of people who used to be my boost juice customers um, does does um sally does does janine alice ever like show up and you go oh my gosh she's here well she, i mean when i worked at the head office she was there she was lovely to me actually because i'm so i moved over to melbourne to take this job for that job they found you and brought you yeah, over so that's yeah. how you came to the east coast yeah and i didn't i didn't really know anyone and she, janine was really um lovely and was sort of like you know invited me over to hang out with her and her family and you know she was she was really sweet but anyway, so university. So So hang on, so you're in Melbourne, you're working at Boosters, you're still at uni? This is the thing I <laughs> stupidly well, I mean it wasn't stupid, it was the right decision, but I left my undergraduate degree with one unit to go to take this job. Um <laughs> because I'm an idiot. And then a couple of years later I was like, I really need to get my, you know, bachelor's degree like I've essentially done the work except for one unit and then I went back and the university had like discontinued my degree so I had to do like another three units of another major to graduate with some I don't know it was all a bit of a mess so that's what I that's my undergraduate yeah wow but you got there yeah 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 and then I did my I started my master's in broadcast journalism at UTS um and I did that for two years but I didn't finish it but so by that time you're in Sydney Mm -hmm. all right so what what was it like coming over? How old were you when you got to Melbourne? 21. Okay, so 21. 20, 21 years old. I'm assuming living out of home yeah, 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 for one of the first times, if not the first time. No, I left home young. I was 17 or something. Excellent. <laughs> that, that's so super good. Uh, so it is tough when you move to a new city, and a lot of people listening would, would have done that. Um, but there is also something, I, having done it myself a number of times, there is something about, ah. Oh, no one here knows me. What I tell them about me will become their truth. <laughs> was there a re- redefinition of, of you at that point? When I moved to Melbourne mm. or Sydney? Or, um, no, I don't think so. I think I... what Like, kind of what you see is what you get with me. I think I'm... Yeah, I don't think so. I think maybe when I moved to... Sydney. So, I mean, we're dancing all over my life story here, but so moved to Melbourne. Then I moved to London because I was in like, for, for a girl. Um, so moved to London with her. Then we moved to Sydney together and broke up. So I think after that breakup, I think I probably came into myself a little more being in a new city. Um, and like, yeah, I remember being like, I really want to you know, like meet the queer community. I want to like take part in this community. I want to find my people. Mm. So I do, I do remember that being quite a deliberate choice. Right. Well, I've done that too. I have met someone and gone, you know what? I'm into you enough that I will move countries. Mm. And then that didn't work out. Mm. And then afterwards going, Oh shit. (laughs) What happens now? (laughs) Kind of trying to put it all back together. Where are all my friends? (laughs) Well, Well, yeah. Yeah. Especially when you move countries to be with someone because their friends become your friends and then mm. when that ends, you're like, oh, people pick sides. <laughs> oh, it's really, really hard. Mm. And then, you know, but, you know, thankfully we can both sit here. I mean, I'm, I met my beautiful wife, Audrey. We have, a, have an incredible stepdaughter. Life is pretty great, but you couldn't have shown me this then. Frank, hey, buddy. You couldn't have shown me this then. I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah. You know, so, but I think it is, for me, it's kind of important that you kind of have that heartbreak in oh, your life. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it sucks and it hurts. Breakups are the worst. They're the worst. 
But what do you learn? Um, so everything. Frankie, hey, can you stop that? We're trying to talk about important emotional stuff here. Frank, I'm come on, buddy. Pouring my heart out. Come on. Come here. When, when you are in that breakup space, like what, what would you say to someone who's going through a breakup right now? Oh, just that, um, it's that it's the worst and you don't have to expect it to not be the worst and you don't have to hurry it. I think there's, there can be a sort of like a breakup, a breakup playbook that people will try to sort of fit themselves into. And I think all breakups are different and you should just take your time with it. Um, and that it will be okay after a while. Maybe it's years, mm. maybe it's weeks, but it will be okay. But do you find, did you find yourself figuring out what were the causes behind it and making some subtle shifts so that it didn't happen again? Um, after every relationship and not just romantic ones, you know, after every, every relationship you form and nourish and build, you learn stuff from about yeah. yourself and about how you, how you show love and how you receive love and, yeah. um, what kind of partner you want to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. That is, yeah. Mm. Sorry. Hanson, breakups, barking <laughs> dogs, boost juice. Yeah. How great is that? I still, like, know all the recipes off by heart. Not the new ones that came in after I left. Right. Yeah. But that's, you know, obviously IP, you very highly say. protected IP. But you, couldn't yeah. say, you couldn't say. You'll note here that we have a, a, a very fancy Vitamix. I can see that. In our home. And a turmeric latte. We have turmeric lattes ready to go. But... Um, you're in, you're up in Sydney, and you're at UTS. You are in the community. You found your people. Mm. Was it like a Hanson song? Were you like, oh, I found you? Was it brilliant? Was it embracing and yeah, wonderful? Yeah, it was basically all of us like standing around in a big sword, so circle, holding hands, singing. When the night is dark and stormy, won't have to reach out for me. I'll come, come to you. Oh, I'll come to you. We're going to have to start paying royalties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy that That's we're That's literally what the queer community is. That is the future that the Liberals want. <laughs> <laughs> but it must have, like, to... And, yo, know, this is obviously why when... You know, say for example, in the olden times, in the olden times when after World War II, when when people came uh, from, say for example, Italy, or my mum's family came from Lithuania, they're like, "This is a weird suburb. Oh, hang on, we'll go live next to the other guy who speaks our language too." Oh, this is better. All right. Oh, now there's a whole street of us. Oh, this is brilliant. And this is why, you know, in in pockets of cities around the world where there's lots of immigrant communities, there's Koreatown and there's Little Italy and there's mm. da, 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 in the same way. You kind of sometimes just want to be around your people. Yeah. Because it just feels okay. And it's, oh, I don't have to constantly, constantly translate and, and be on guard and not hold hands and, you know. Totally. And for lots of uh, queer people, it's it's like a matter of safety, mm. both um, like quite literal physical safety, but also sort of like mental, mental safety. Um, so you can sort of exist in public life without having to you know, don this heavy armour that you have to stomp around carrying. So, Did you find that you would had been doing that before you found yourself amongst that community? Um, 
Not like yes and no because like I I would consider myself as what we would call straight passing, which is I mean I do have a nose ring, but apart from that, you like I don't know. My most common experience actually is people don't believe that I'm gay um, because apparently I look straight. You can't see me, but I'm doing little air quotes. But yeah, so. Like, not for me personally. Perhaps if I was holding hands with, um, you know, a partner or something, then yes. But, um, yeah, I've kind of been – I'm privileged in that way, I suppose. You pass. Mm. But that's, that's, yeah. also, that's also a word for it. Yeah, 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 that, exactly. That you pass. Mm-hmm. Um, which – and you use the word privileged. Mm. Why is it a privilege? Because when it comes to safety, like some – of my, you know, some members of my community can't pass. So, like, for me, it's an option whether I can, you know, if I want to blend in. Like, if I don't want to tell my Uber driver that I'm queer, like, he's probably not going to assume that I am. But, like, some people don't have that option. They, you know, people read them as queer. Yeah. Um, And that can be a problem sometimes. Yeah, a a problem with, and a a lot of people may not understand, it's a problem with, extraordinarily high consequences, mm-hmm. uh, which in, include you know, physical, verbal, well, mental, verbal, physical abuse to, to the point of, you know, quite extraordinary harm, uh, stalking, maybe even, you know, to the point of, of, of assault or, or worse. Yeah, absolutely. And, and these are all things that I'm not making stuff up. This is all... You know, people have been beaten to death because of the way they walk. Yeah. And, like, particularly during the postal survey last year, um, the the heightened tension around, um, you know, whether LGBTI people have the right to, you know, be treated equally under the law, that that conversation very quickly degenerated to, like, whether LGBTIQ people um, are, like, equal, worthy, should exist, all the rest of it. and, yeah, so many of my friends and so many people in the community nationally reported, like, much higher rates of harassment, of violence, of online bullying and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, it was really awful. Can we, can we talk about that? Because yeah. you, did, you did many years at Get Up as, as quite a, uh, uh, a visual as far as front-facing you know, person in the organisation, uh, mm. leading a lot of campaigns and the you know visual storytelling um, yep. part of, of what they did, which is very powerful, very effective. Uh, you now work at Change.org. Um, how early did you start to realise? Um, oh, hang on, if I get up and say stuff, uh, angry white men on the internet are going to threaten me with death. <laughs> <laughs> Like, from the very first time I spoke at a rally. Jesus. Yeah, it's... And it used to upset me a lot. Well, certainly at the beginning it was, like, shocking because you hear about this stuff, but it seems very... I don't know, like, back in sort of 2014 when I'm getting people sending me stuff on Facebook or over email and I'm thinking, what? Like, how can you be bothered? Like, I just spoke at a rally or, you know, did a little video. or You know, like, something that feels so inconsequential um so yeah initially it was shocking and now it's kind of something that I hate obviously and like during the postal survey again the abuse was like just extraordinary um but I think it's I've like have come to learn that if you want to do anything like if you want to make any change if you want to push for any kind of progress um 
then you there's kind of it's kind of like Newton's law. <laughs> like there will be a an inverse reaction to it, and it's it's not um, it's not proportionate. It's not equal, but yeah, it's no matter what we do or we say as largely women um, on the internet and in public life, like there will be this sort of pushback of nasty messages. Um, and I wish it wasn't re- the reality, but it just is. Why is it important for you to get up and say these things? Because I have a platform to do that now. Um, so you could just take a job at a bank. I'm just I'm just asking because yeah. I want to get to the point of like what it is that that you get up every day. Not everybody wants to get up every day and go. Okay, today I'm going to go work. Part of me going to go to work is I'm going to write this thing on Facebook or I'm going to write this thing on the internet or I'm going to say this thing on camera that it will then go across YouTube, across the feed, across, you know, get picked up by News Limited and, and maybe end up at the 6 o'clock news. Mm. Because, it, you know, of that, I'm going to be subjected to hours and hours and hours of horrible threats of violence to me, to my family, to my community. Then I'm going to go home and cook dinner. <laughs> I tend to get takeaway, to be honest, but... <laughs> um... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's funny when you frame it like that because I actually think I have the best job in the whole world and I'm incredibly privileged to do what I do. Um, so, it, I, I, yeah, I, I meet so many people who work so hard and are desperate to make a difference and they do that work and I'm in a position where I um, have it as my job and so I don't feel, yeah, and, and it, like if that means that I get some abuse online like so be it why is it important to you though to to make a stand for things like this because i feel like our systems are broken and i feel like our power um power systems are are broken essentially and i feel like um I feel like ordinary people should be able to participate in the decisions that affect their lives outside of election cycles um, and they should be able to use their voice and they should organise in their communities to, 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 to use the power that they have um, to, yeah, push, push back against what I see as a democracy that is more and more sort of like weighted to favour favor the rich, favour corporations, favour... Um, Institutions uh, like the Catholic Church, for instance, that are sort of like losing their, yeah, just sort of like these traditional institutions of power that I think don't represent uh, the the citizenry uh, as well as they should. Um, and I, yeah, and I think that I think that our democracy is better. I think that our society is better, and I think that people will be. Um, safer, happier, um, and you know, treated better if if we have a more egalitarian society, I suppose. Because when I look at the things that people write to you, besides the horrible, <laughs> horrible threats of, of physical harm and and things, there does seem to be a lot of like, love it or leave, you know, just fucking shit up and, you know, it's fine how it is. Mm. What would you say to people who have that in their heart, who believe it in the heart? It's fine how it is. Why change it? 
Um, because they get up in the morning as much as you believe, <laughs> and you know, let's be, full disclosure here. I believe that yes, it's it could always be better. It, we're not even anywhere near the top of the mountain. This country could be the best fucking country in the world. In the words of Will Anderson, we could be the catter of free energy. There's so many things that we could do here, <laughs> but we're just fucking stuck in this mentality from 1949, you know, <laughs> and it's just like it doesn't have to be like this. It could be incredible. But there's so many people who are like, no, 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 leave it, leave it, leave it. Yeah, I don't know. Someone, I don't know who said it, but there's a, someone said something to the effect of like, if you, if you have privilege and that privilege is sort of like equaled out a little more, if you have to make sacrifices as a privileged person, it feels like oppression. So I suppose dominant communities or powerful communities um, who experience things like, okay, let's put in like uh, gender targets in the workplace or like let's um, make our bathrooms gender neutral or, um, you know, any sort of like affirmative action steps towards making the spaces we the spaces we exist and move in to be sort of like safer and more egalitarian and all the rest Th those changes can feel like oppression um if you're not used to making those sacrifices so an example might be uh like I'm a 44 year old straight white middle class guy mm. um who let's just say for example I've had a different upbringing and um I work in a workplace and I noticed that there used to be 40 people in a workplace, workplace and all of them are white. Two years go by, there's now 35 people, 40 people in my workplace and five of them aren't white. And now there's 10 of them aren't white. And now there's 12 of them aren't white. And people who I was friends with and worked with for a long time don't work here anymore, but now, you know, Shahib works here. And, like, mm. if that starts happening more and more and you're unfamiliar with it, it can be really scary. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in that example, your mates are getting displaced out of their work. And what I like, what I believe is like people, you're not getting displaced from anything when other communities are um, given more power and are given a seat at the table. We have the capacity to have a really big table. Um, Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the big table because I think that's that a lot of a lot of the, the just leave it alone, leave it alone is, is this idea of scarcity. Is like if we start conceding there won't be enough left for me yeah that's not really is, true is it well i know and that's what we're told you know we're told that we're like in a debt and deficit crisis and um you know we're all going to run out of power and you know it's th th that's what we're told that there is uh that there is scarcity but i think that there, there is actually abundance i think there's abundance of uh like compassion and empathy like potential for generosity. I think there's an abundance of, as you say, like sun and wind and an abundance of, you know, money that could be put into hospitals and, yeah, like I, and social security. I feel, yeah, I, I feel like there is an abundance in Australia. And that it's not so scary to let everyone who is a part of this community has come to this country to make this country great. It's not so scary to let everyone have a little taste of what you've had for so long, mm. Mm. which is kind of really what it, you know, what it comes down to, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, as you mentioned, you know, taking that, 
at the moment you have to start conceding a little bit of that privilege or not even conceding that privilege, seeing other people share the same privilege. Mm-hmm. It does. It, that's the where it starts to feel oppression, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah. seeing, hang on a second, uh, you know, there's this person who's, you know, got a West African, you know, look about them and I see them, you know, walking down the street and they've got three little kids under three. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yes. <laughs> freak you out if you if you've come from Western Queensland, then freak you the fuck out, mm. you know. Um, or you go, oh my god, look at that! They were facing war and now they live in peace. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> we should set up a play date, more friends. Woo. Yeah, it really depends on depends on how you look at it. Um, when it comes to you know your job at Change.org is well, it does it what well, it says it, the names on the box really. Um, <laughs> You're hoping to to create create change. Yeah. Is there a point, and have you gotten any better at identifying which people are capable of accepting a possibility of a different point of view into their world? And is there a point where you're like, okay, so I'm going to conserve my energy here and just let you go about your day, and I'm going to go and talk to this person now because I've tried a couple of methods with you and you're not into it. Mm, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I think that would probably apply more while I was working at GetUp, mm. which was um, had a more sort of like centralised staff team that were running the campaigns, whereas mm. with Change.org, um, like anybody can start a petition on whatever they care about um, on change.org and it's a completely open platform. Mm. So there's a whole, whole host of petitions, um, from all different political perspectives. Um, and the staff, like staff don't start petitions or anything like that. We don't, we don't favor or start petitions. So, um, yeah, we wouldn't really play that role at mm. change.org. So, okay. Then, so for example, like just for, for people who are listening, who are, you know, might be starting a petition or, or might be trying to, you know, that might be asking about a petition and starting getting some, some pushback from somebody else. What did you learn and what have you learned, for example, at your time at GetUp that might be able to help them to focus their energies on someone who can have their mind changed versus, nah, that person really, really, really does not ever want to accept that anything could be ever different? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose my advice to that person is to come about it the other way. So, like, you, you would think about who the who the decision maker is. So like if you care about, what's an example, what's in parliament today? Okay, in parliament today, um, the Greens are bringing in a piece of legislation to uh, take the GST off uh, sanitary products, tampons and stuff like that. This is just an example, it's front of my mind. So perhaps there's a campaign uh, saying, yeah, we want to take the GST off. So the decision maker on that campaign would probably be the treasurer, so the treasurer of the government. So if you're going to start a petition saying, okay, well, the target of the campaign here, this person is the decision maker, Scott Morrison, uh, and then backwards from there you say, okay, well, who who and what influences Scott Morrison? Um, and you might be able to say, okay, well, it's maybe it's people who live in his electorate or maybe he, you know, represents his other interests. Maybe we could go through like a business side. Maybe there's a corporate campaign in there somewhere. So you, you kind of go through it backwards and then you say okay well just just keep the example simple so you say okay scott morrison so his electorate is north sydney i believe no way it's not that was joe hockey it doesn't matter um so like let, let's um get the people of his electorate to care like to exert their pressure on scott morrison about the tampon tax how are we going to do that so then you'd kind of think about okay well we're going to speak to 
these are the people who we want to persuade. And then you might say, okay, well, we, we don't want to speak to the whole electorate, so maybe let's just talk to women. Okay, cool, and like maybe let's just talk to women aged 30 to 40 because they are easy to reach, for instance. And like, okay, well, how are we going to reach them? Well, why don't we reach them on Facebook? Okay, well, what are we going to get? You know, like, so you kind of mm. go backwards from who your decision maker is. Right. Yeah. That's all right. That's a pretty good process. <laughs> um, when you think about someone like that, when you think about someone like, for example, Scott Morrison, mm-hmm. who is, at the end of the day, he's, he's just a guy. Or someone like George Christensen, all right? It's just a guy. Mm-hmm. Do you do you find that you might be able to have hopefully you know a better cab ride than the Jermaine Greer one with someone like that? Do you find that you might be able to get some common ground with a person like that? Well, I've so I've not met Scott Morrison, but I've met and had lunch with George Christensen. So like I've chatted to him. Um, be careful what I say. I like all politicians, whether whether I agree with their politics or not. I feel like all politicians. Most politicians are there because they care about making the country a better place. And I think there probably are the same fundamental values. So, like, for instance, George Christensen would argue that he really cares about children, which is why um, he was such a vocal opponent of the Safe Schools program. Whereas I would say I really care about children, which is why I campaigned so hard for the Safe Schools program. So, like, yeah, I, th- I think there are, I think that there is commonality between all people and I think there can be shared values between mm. people. Yeah. I- I do, I do kind of, you know, struggle with that a bit though. I do struggle with uh, the logic of I care about children so therefore these things uh, do not belong in our schools, things that have been proven by independent research that protect children. Mm. You know, I have a problem with that kind of f- flying in the face of of science <laughs> generally. But this also, you know, comes to the, the certainly with the Vote No campaign um, and that was when I was like I did what I could by you know you know trying to be as vocal as I could publicly, and the amount of people who just refuse to accept it's like you don't understand the extraordinary risks on teenage LGBTIQ kids mm-hmm. of of suicide and 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 um, and risk of, of of danger of death of you know it's just like how can you possibly in good conscience, how can you, as, as a human, as a compassionate human who claims to be religious, how can you do that? <laughs> and then people were just like, no. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't, I can't bear it. I just start to, that's when me and brick walls start to, you know, mm. have the Liverpool kiss. I just cannot, I just can't understand it. And my head just wants to stop working. Mm. Well, and like going back to persuadable audiences, like during the, survey campaign during the postal survey campaign the yes campaign wouldn't have bothered trying to change those people's minds Mm. like a because it's they're clearly made up and there is an element of just sort of respecting that those people have made up their minds but also there's no point as a in a campaign there's no point wasting energy on people Mm. who aren't going to change their mind when was the last time someone changed your mind about something that you had hitherto been really dogmatically like no 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 man I'm Margaret Atwood on this. There's no fucking way this is ever going to change. No, I, I cannot ever believe that. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah? You can get back to me. Yeah. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But to, 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 you know, just to watch what you said before, though, even just the fact that you've made the leap to this politician, who I disagree with extraordinarily, 
is just a person who just wants the same thing that I do. That in itself mm. is a pretty massive leap and it does help very, very much when it comes to just kind of comprehending what does go on inside our political system. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're an incredibly pleasing person and I, I, I'm aware that I, um, I started late, late because I was late. So I, I just do want to see if we can't, you know, just kind of just talk for this little part about this last little bit and then um, you can pat Frankie and we'll push off. <laughs> as someone who as you know, I'm just trying to think about not everyone's going to be so vocally out in public pushing people's buttons about, you know, what they thought was going to be the status quo and trying to let them know that, you know what, life could be better for all of us mm-hmm. if we did this little thing. And here's why. Life could be better for people that you may never meet, but because we're a kind society and we like to have kindness in our society, we did this little thing and life could be really good and that will make your life good because their life's good, you know. In doing that, as we mentioned before, extraordinary slings and arrows have come your way. Where does self-care come into all this, Sally? That is an interesting question. Um, I feel like self-care is something I'm getting much better at as time goes on. Like certainly throughout 2015, 2016, there was very, you know, very little of it. How did that work out for you? Oh, I was just like getting chest infections all the time and was like crying at work. You know, it's like it's an incredibly um, intense thing to work on a campaign like marriage equality when it is, I mean, you know, like as a queer person, like it's such a fundamental part of who I am and the people I care about. Um, And certainly back in, you know, 2015, 2016, it wasn't really, I mean, it was very much on the agenda of sort of the people working on the campaign. Um, But yeah, it was kind of like a very like isolating and also suffocating experience at the same time. But yeah, I think so I've been getting a lot better at self-care. And during the postal survey in particular, like all of a sudden everybody was affected. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel as isolating. Um, and we all just looked after each other. Like I, the whole, those three months, I just remember every conversation um, starting with like, oh, and, and like, how are you going? Like are you holding up okay? Are you coping okay? Like it was, we all just kind of looked after each other. But in terms of self-care, look, I eat a lot of vegetables, drink a lot of water. I go to sleep very early every night. I'm, like, usually in bed by about quarter past ten. That's early, right? My kind of hours, Sally. Yeah. My kind of hours. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, I try to get a lot of sleep. (laughs) Just what you were saying before, um, I can't – you know, when you you think about those during the postal survey – um, it, 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 it broke my heart one beautiful Sydney Sunday day to look up in the sky and see skywriting that said vote no mm. I can't even imagine what that might have been like for you I can't even like to, to be you know just going about your day and then someone so full of hate that they would accept a job (laughs) to do such a thing. Like, I can't even imagine what that sort of thing is like. Um, 
yeah, it was really awful. But I think, you know, me and my friends were able to sort of be like, oh, that's disgusting and kind of laugh it off. Um, and also skywriting like that probably only cost about eight grand or something, which is like a lot of money. But, I, you know, it's just sort of like, ugh, you know, somebody's probably just done that. And you know what? Like if, if the government is going to call a national you know, vote, then you have to expect campaign tactics like that. But um, many of my friends who are same-sex couples who have children um, described how horrendous that experience was for their children because, you know, my two of my friends, I'm thinking of in particular, like they were able to sort of shelter their children to a certain extent. Like they, they the kids knew that the postal survey was happening and they'd kind of like made a rainbow flag to sit out, stick out the front of their house. But, you know, their parents had done a really, um, really sort of conscientiously tried to sh- like shelter the kids from the nasty debate and the fa- the fact that like, yes wasn't guaranteed to win and all that it was kind of they were trying to make it as sort of a safe and positive experience as possible and then for these young kids they're younger than 10 to look up into the sky and see these words and again I look at that and I'm like oh that's you know probably cost you know five to eight grand whatever but for children to see that in the sky it's like yeah, it was a really um, distressing experience. Yeah. And then they, these two kids had to go to school on Monday and all the kid, the other kids are like, oh, did you see the sky riding? You know, it was, yeah. Well, look, I'm glad you're eating a lot of vegetables <laughs> and I'm glad that you go to bed early. And I, I promise I won't tell Janine Ellis if you make some knockoff boost juices at home <laughs> using formal recipes that you garnered from working there. <laughs> the final thing I want to ask you is that how are we going to make – same-sex dating reality television a possibility because all the formats that have tried it have failed. How are we going to make it work? Because they've tried a bunch of times. I know, but you say they've failed because everybody hooks up with each other and I think that sounds delightful and great television. Mm. Great television for the community who would (laughs) – where's the – as you know, as a storyteller – there's got to be a story arc. There's mm. got to be tension and release. There's got to be jeopardy. Well, where's the, where's a, the jeopardy if everybody hooks up with each other? What if there's some moles or something? Like people who have an alternate agenda, like if they can, you know, you, you need some some of the women to be double agents of some variety. Ah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, let, I mean we'll, we'll finish the podcast and we'll go out and storyboard it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do it right here because this is how this podcast happens. You and I are discussing how we'd make a same-sex reality dating <laughs> show on Twitter. Lesbian Bachelorette. Which yeah. is be brilliant, brilliant, because Finding Prince Charming didn't work. Mm. Even though they got Lance Bass to host it, yeah. it, it didn't work. Cause, and, and the fantastic Jesse Tyler Ferguson with George Takei playing the Chris Harrison role um, in that brilliant sketch they did about Gay Bachelor mm. when Jesse Tyler Ferguson is like, hey, who wants to go on a date? And then he goes to this, cuts to the shot of like 20 beautiful men in a pool going like, who are no, you? we're cool. We're yeah. good. You go on your date. We're fine right here. <laughs> The, intri- the 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 mole is a is an interesting play. The the person on the inside is mm. an interesting play because I was thinking for a little while about if you start to go and, like if you start introducing real subtle things within same sex communities that 
kind of do form those boundaries of, for ease of understanding, for a lot of people who aren't familiar with the, the subtleties of it, the tops and the bottoms, the, <laughs> the, the two polarised edges of, of those things might be an easier in for just a general, like think the goggle box family sitting on the couch with five kids, you know, mm-hmm. they live in the suburb, drink instant coffee, you know, drive Fords. Uh, you know, mm. <laughs> you know, like how without doing all this homework on the subtle differences of how these relationships form, can you just go, boom, here's the jet? And the problem is, is those subtle differences are like kind of just stereotypes. Like there certainly are like butchers and femmes and tops and bottoms, but the community is like so much more fluid than that binary. This is, is. true, but you're aware of that because you're within it. For people yeah. who way outside the community, they only see the bright colours. Yeah. All right. And that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like if I want to do this mainstream. I'm not. We're not, they're not going to have a YouTube show. I want to get, like, prime time. Yeah. So to get prime time, you've got to be painting in those big crayons, man. Mm-hmm. That's how, you know, that's how we got to do it. Yeah, I feel like you need to, like, put in four women who, if they win at the end, they get, like, a cash prize of 500 grand or whatever, you know, like some sort of financial incentive that makes them want to pursue. But, like, they're all – it's a bit taming the shrew, right? Like, they don't actually want to date – the woman they want the cash prize and like maybe that gets revealed i don't know like there's a cash prize on love island is there yeah ah i haven't been watching it i'm sorry oh it's fine it's pretty we watch it with with Gigi. it's actually pretty <laughs> you can hear her commentate it's hilarious and it's a good you know it's freaking amazing about watching love island with 14 and a half year old it's like what are you he doesn't mean that He's just been telling the boys on the sun lounge he's not in. No, he's only saying it so he can hook up with you. Like, <laughs> yes. Good. <laughs> Very proud of you for noticing that. <laughs> she sounds delightful. We will, as you know, as you noticed, I do have the whiteboard stuff ready to go. She has a um, job that does rhythmic gymnastics and that's the her coaches are Russian, so <laughs> she's just learning the Russian. We have a whiteboard, sorry, we have a whiteboard on the wall that has the um, the Russian words uh, that her coaches use. Uh, as a result, our dog is now learning Russian. So all the sit, stand, um, come here, all that stuff, she now gives the dog commands in Russian and now our dog can speak Russian. That's amazing. Which is also, you know, super handy. Um, so, yeah, later on we can uh, we can storyboard this and we can try and figure it out because I'm dead set serious, Sally. I, mm-hmm. I really want to – because if we can get it done, if we can get it right, boom. Yeah. 20 and, countries franchised. Uh-huh. If anybody can get it right, I feel like it's you and me. I think you're absolutely right. Mm. I'm so bloody grateful you came around today. It just it's great to have a conversation with you. Thanks so much for having me. That's been I'm really thrilled. Great. <laughs> I'm thrilled we had a conversation. I hope that um, you know people listening kind of now scratch a little deeper and kind of figure it a bit about more of what of what happens over at change.org and why something like that is so important in our democracy because it's a very exciting time for democracy. Mm. As we've seen, democracy can be subverted in extraordinary ways by the internet as we've seen with like Cambridge Analytica and things like that and you know within our own country on last election cycle but in the same way those same tools can be used incredibly powerfully yeah absolutely which is really exciting I think so and like if you're listening and you've got a a bone to pick with the government or a company or, you know, your local council, whoever it is, like jump onto change.org and start a petition. Like it's such an incredible way to make change. We see campaigns win all the time. Because you can do it now. Yeah. You know, 20 years ago when, you know, we were watching Hanson videos, you what? You could, you could staple a piece of paper to the wall and hope that someone else would read it. You could get angry down the pub and talk to one other person. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no power in it. But now there's the ability to organise and, and, and we've seen it on ex- 
extraordinary scale when you look at governments shutting Facebook down or shutting the entire SMS system down because they're trying to subvert uh, any kind of dissent mm-hmm. to their rule, then you know that this kind of communication that we now have in the palms of our hand is an amazingly powerful tool. And it's a very, very exciting time to – it's a very scary time in our world, but it's a very exciting time in our world at the mm-hmm. same time. For large amounts of like-minded people can be mobilised very quickly and those at the very, very top with the self-interest of I just want to keep my job will eventually, will enough pressure go, yeah, all right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks heaps, Sally. Thanks, mate. Unreal, beauty. I'm going to take your photo real quick, okay? Yeah, great. Switch. That was Sally Rugg. Hopefully, the soon-to-be star and executive producer of the first successful primetime network same-sex dating TV show in Australia. We'll figure it out. I know we'll figure it out. If you did like what you hear, please let her know on Twitter. She's at Sally Rugg, S-A-L-L-Y-R-U-G-G, or find her on Instagram at Campaign Puppy. If you just search Sally Rugg on Instagram, she pops up. I must help the people that make this show. Andy Ma, my audio producer, Rachel Barrett, my show producer, Toe Hyder for all the music, and the very good people at Patreon that helped me pay those people because of you, we made this show. If you would like to help out, patreon.com slash osher. Thank you so, so, so very much. I did want to say someone did email me the other day and they had an alternate sign-off that they wanted me to say. Their uh, their five-year-old Susie emailed me and said their five-year-old um, caught the end of the episode and instead of, she, she said like instead of saying sleep well and dream of beautiful things Susie's five year old suggests that you sleep well and dream of movie world wet and wild Thailand and whatever else you like so there you go dream of all those things and more and I'll talk to you next week thanks for being a part of the show I'll see you then 